0: All right, you can open your Bible to the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 11. Um, Today I'd like to preach a a sermon that um, I've titled, Front Sliding. Now, if you're familiar with the word backsliding, I think you know what I'm aiming at when we say front sliding. Now obviously backsliding is commonly referred to as um, losing your focus in Christianity, falling away from the fervor or the zeal or the closeness you once had to God. And so to backslide from that is to sort of lose fellowship, um, lose that intimacy, that closeness that you had with God. Now Strangely, I want to say, we have a word for backsliding, but I don't know why the term frontsliding is not also something that we speak about, right? I mean, why, why only focus on the part where people constantly drift away from God, but not also speak about the, the drawing nigh to God as... Now, maybe it's linguistic. Maybe it's just front sliding is not such a nice way of putting it, right? It could be drawing nigh to God or being in fellowship with God. But all I'm saying is, is we turn backsliding, but why not what are the things that draw us closer to Him? What are the things that, that bring us back into, into fellowship with, with God? So um, I want us to look at a story... In scripture that specifically, I think, illustrates some of the items that, or some of the things that result in, in, in backsliding, and then what are some of the remedies or things that we find we need to put in place for us in order to draw closer to God again. And um, it is for us to examine ourselves, to, to test ourselves, and to see where do we stand with this, because I think if anyone says that I never sin, well, First John says you're a liar. But if anyone says that I, I, I don't sin or I, I don't struggle with sin or um, there aren't ups and downs in my, in my spiritual walk, I, I, I don't think you're being honest. And so some of us will find ourselves today in a state where we need to say, well, I have backslid. How do I get back? What is it that I need to do? Some of us will be in the state where we, we, we're close to God right now, but there will come a time where you will slide a bit. And so then you need to know, but what are the things? What are the things I need to check? What could be the things that are out of place so that I can come back to where I need to be with my Lord? So the story I've pointed you to is in, in 1 Kings. Um, in 1 Kings chapter 11, we read about King Solomon um, now, I'm going to start in First Kings 11, although most of our focus is going to be in First Kings 15. But I want to give you some background as to where Israel is at this point in their history. Now, you'll know Solomon was the third king of Israel. It was Saul, and then David, and then Solomon. Now, in First Kings 11, I would like to just read a few verses together. Let's read from verse 1 it says, but King Solomon loved many strange women. Now, I don't, when he says strange women, I don't think he's meaning weird women, although maybe if you have 700 wives, I guess some of them may have been a bit strange. <laughs> but, but King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, woman of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Z- Zidonians, Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. So, first of all, God said, You should not cleave to these strange women, these women of other nations, of other religions, you need to stay close to those children of Israel, because they will draw your heart away from God. Verse 3 says, And he had 700 wives, princesses, and, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wife turned away his heart from, after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of of David, his father. So, first of all, we see David, his father's heart was right towards God. It actually says in First Kings fifteen and verse five that it, that David was living within the commands of God. He was he was a man of the God's own heart. He was he was following God, and it says except in the matter of Uriah, the Hittite, obviously, who's, who whom he killed to be with Bathsheba. But in all other matters, his heart was right with God. And Solomon clearly wasn't. So if I can picture, put this picture in your mind right now, is that David is the peak and is the description of what fellowship with God should look like. Okay, Israel, this is your king. This is what it needs to look like. Then Solomon comes and he starts slowly adding one wife, another wife, and another wife. And you'll see he adds an altar for that wife who prays to this God and that wife. And he builds high places for this God and that God because each wife wants their own God to be served and incense to be burned to them and altars to be made to them. And all this happens, but it didn't, he didn't marry seven wives at one stage. <laughs> it was, well, I hope not, but um, it was over time, one wife at a time. And what I'm trying to say is this, for some people that slide away from where David was will be one at a time. One act of disobedience to what God has said. A little bit there, another one there. This one draws this way, this one draws that way. And it's this process over Solomon's life that eventually landed him up, where we read in, in verse um, in verse 5, as it says, For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, um, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. And, and Solomon did build a high place for Chemosh and the abomination of Moab in the hill that was before Jerusalem and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives and burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. So you see, he's, the first thing that I want to point you draw your attention to when it comes to the backsliding of this nation is willing disobedience. God said, you should not marry these women. They will draw your heart away. But Solomon willingly did that and it ended up exactly where it said it would be. So the first thing is willing disobedience will, li- will lead to backsliding. Now in, in verse 9 um, of First Kings 11, it says, And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God, um, of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after the after, um, after other gods, but that he and oh, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded thee. I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it to thy servant. So if you've ever heard of the, the divide that was in, made in Israel, the northern tribes, the southern tribes, and the ten tribes of, of Israel and the, the house of Judah at the, at the south, this is where it happens. Because Solomon did not obey God in this command, the, 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 the kingdom was torn south, north and south. And happens because of his and it says it will be given to his servant. Now, that servant's name is Jeroboam. And we read about him just later on in the same chapter. So we have this man, Jeroboam, who is a servant of Solomon, who the kingdom gets given to. So in other words, it doesn't pass on to his son, Rehoboam. Okay? Now, this is all history, and it will all make sense in a moment. But the point is just, we have David, Solomon leads them away after these strange idols and all this happened. And so now there's a punishment for that and the kingdom gets divided and Rehoboam does not get the blessing that, would, well, that was given to David and Solomon and then carried through. And it gets given to a servant, the servant Jeroboam. Now, um, I introduced Rehoboam to you. And now these two kings, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, are at war. Um, their, whole, their whole kingdom is constantly at war. South versus north. This, is, this runs through throughout the whole period of these two kings. Um, because what happens is Solomon tries to kill Jeroboam. He tries to kill this man whom, said, whom is said that this, this, this kingdom will be given to. Now Solomon doesn't get it right. Jeroboam flees to Egypt. Jeroboam is in Egypt and when Solomon dies, Jeroboam comes back. Now the moment... Solomon died, Rehoboam became king. Okay, with me. Solomon died, Rehoboam, that is Solomon's son, became king. Now Jeroboam comes back from Egypt and he says, Listen, your father mistreated us, your father did Ill, was ill towards us, but we will submit to you if you will not go so hard on us as Solomon did. Now, let's see what happens. 1 um, Kings chapter 12. In verse 5 of 1 Kings 12, what happens is, is um, Jeroboam has come to speak to Rehoboam. And verse 5 says, And he said unto them, Depart yet for three days, then come again to me, and the people departed. So he's, this is Rehoboam sending Jeroboam away and saying, Give me three days, let me think about whether I should go easy on you guys. Verse 6 says, And Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father, while he yet lived, and said, "How do you advise that I may answer this people?" So Rehoboam does a good thing. He says he goes to the older people, the people who gave advice to his father Solomon, and he asks them, "How do I do? Should I go easy on them, or should I, you know, should I just go hard on the people um, even more than my dad did before me?" But notice something that he says here in verse six. He says, "How do ye advise?" that I answer this people. He's speaking of the advisors as external and then himself. Okay, I'm going to show you something now. So he asks these old people and these wise people, and they tell him, you need to go easy on those people. Their hearts are going to be turned away from you. But then he neglects the counsel that is given to him by his wiser, older um, um, servants of his father. And he goes and he speaks to the younger people. He says, verse 8, But he forsook the counsel of the old men, which, he ha- which they had given him, and consulted with the young men um, that were grown up with him and which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people? So he immediately, in the, when he spoke about the old people, he said, What counsel do you say? I must do. But here he says, what counsel do you say we must do? So he had already chosen his side. He had already said, I am going to not listen to these older, wiser people. I'm going to listen to these younger um, fellows of mine. And what they say is, you need to go harder on these people than your father did. They whipped people with a whip. You need to whip them with scorpions. They, your, your, father's, your pinky must feel like your father's hand. That's the type of pressure that they say, you must put on these people. And so Jeroboam comes back and he hears, all right, what, what, is, the, what, what is the conclusion? Do, do, we go, do we submit to you and you're our king? And Rehoboam says, no, I am going to be harder than my father. And what eventually happens is that the, ki- the kingdom splits, Jeroboam takes the north, all the people follow him because they don't want to be over the harsh rule of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam stays at the south. And only is the is the king of the two tribes, um, Judah and Benjamin. Now, why did I why did I point you to that? Because the second thing that you need to understand when it comes to the backsliding of Israel is there's pride on this king's part. There is a bad influence, the friends or the council that he chose. Um, and so he decided to have this bad influence, and his pride lifted himself up, and that led. To his backsliding. I'm pointing these things out to you because as we go through it, I want you to think about my backsliding. Is it as a result of willing disobedience? God has said I must do a certain thing. I know I must do it, and I'm not doing it. Is it because of pride? I'm too puffed up about my own. It could be even your own spiritual self-righteousness. I'm I'm good where I am. I am. It, c- could it be that? Or could it be bad influence? The people you choose to seek counsel with, the people you hang around with, could that be the thing that is drawing away drawing you away from that fellowship you once had with the lord now in first kings chapter 12 verse 16 and 17 we see this division taking place and then in first kings chapter 14 verse 21 i just last thing i want to point you to is in first kings chapter 14 verse 21 1 Kings 14, says, And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was forty and one years old when he began to reign, and he reigned seventeen years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord did choose out of the tribes of Israel, to put his name there. And his mother's name was Naamah of the Ammonites. And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord and provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they had committed above all, their fathers had done for they also built them high places and images um, and groves on every high hill and under every green tree and they were also sodomites in the land and they did according to the abomination of the nations which the Lord had cast which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel so two things that's happening here obviously Jeroboam is this king and the people have departed completely from where they were supposed to be where they were under David's rule, they had completely departed from this and they had built idols and they had included the Sodomites into their, into their, um, into their life. Those two things I want to point out to you because those are the two, one of the two things we are going to see in 1 in Kings chapter 15 where we'll actually take our, our points from. So you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 15. <coughs> And this, this whole decline of this nation resulted eventually in war, in destruction, in no peace being in the land. Israel and Judah were at war the whole time, Rehoboam, Jeroboam. They had enmity towards each other, and there was just no peace in the land. And this is as a result of pride and sin and departing from this, the, the, the state where David was close to God. And that was the backslide, and we're familiar with the story of departing from God, and we're familiar with the, the story of, of falling away from God. We're, we, we, we know that, but how and what happened, and how did people restore themselves to where they're actually supposed to be with, with God? So, with that in mind, let's just bow our heads and pray. Father, we ask that you please be with us this morning. We thank you, Lord, that You've given us this this word of yours, Lord, that we can learn so much from. Thank you, Father, that you that you've entrusted us to to take this this message of of the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And, and Lord, we pray that you would please help us to to learn from this lesson this morning, Lord. Um, come speak to every one of us. Each each one of us, are, we're probably at a different point in our in our spiritual walk with you, Lord, and. There is something for everyone in this, and I pray that you'd please come, come press on our hearts that we all know what it is that you want us to do with this lesson that you have given to us and this, this account of, of King Asa and King Jeroboam and just the, the nation of Israel, Lord. Please come help us, and we ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in, this brings us now to First Kings Chapter 15, <clears throat> we had Solomon, we had Rehoboam, and then after Rehoboam, we essentially end up now with Asa, King Asa. Now, something that I, I I want you to see is that Solomon had a somewhat divided heart. He tried to please all these 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 other gods of his wives, and he also tried to please his god at the same time, which a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And we, we know that we can't serve God and mammon. We know that this lukewarmness is, is, is disgusting to God. And so this is exactly what, what Solomon was doing. And that resulted in his son completely departing from anything that was given by God. And, and his son, um, I think his name is Abijah or Ahijah. There's, there's so many Abijah, Ahijahs that are so close to each other. I'm looking for his name, Abijam. Abijam, so he's then his son, and his son also completely does what's evil in the sight of God, and then King Asa comes. Now, he's of the same line. His his granddaddy was Solomon, and his his great granddaddy was Solomon, his granddaddy was Rehoboam, and his dad was Abijam, and none of them were a good example to him of what it means to serve God as a nation of Israel, and as a king of Israel. Now, he comes and we pick up his story in um, verse 9, 1 Kings 15, verse 9. And it says, And in the twentieth year of Jeroboam, king of Israel reigned Asa over Judah. And forty and one years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Makah, and the daughter of Abishalom. <clears throat> and Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did, his, as did David his father. And he took away the sodomites out of the land and he removed all the idols that his fathers had made. And also, and also Micah, his mother, even her he removed from being queen because she had made an idol in a grove and Asa destroyed her idol and burnt it in the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord all his days. And he brought in things which his father had dedicated and the things which himself had dedicated into the house of the Lord, silver and gold and vessels. So the first thing I want to point out to you is, or the first thing that King Asa does, we find in verse 12. It says, And he took away the Sodomites out of the land and removed all the idols that his father's Had made. So he took away the Sodomites. Now I showed you the verse where they started including the Sodomites in their culture, where they built these idol places. And here we see the first thing that King Asa does is he removes the Sodomites and the idols. Now, when we speak about the Sodomites, those are people who came in to live among the Jews, who influenced the Jews in the ways of sodomy and of this sinful. Behavior now, sodomy is often, obviously, referred to the sexual perversion that we find earlier in Scripture, and all of that. But just their whole gentle lifestyle was completely contrary to what God wanted for His people. And so, the first thing Asa does is he says, "We need to address the Sodomites." You can open to First uh, First Psalms. Let's rather go to Psalm chapter one. If you find Second Psalms. <laughs> I think stay away from that. Um, all right, so the Sodomites. Now, what I want to speak of the Sodomites is, is the worldly influence. The first thing Asa addresses is this worldly Gentile influence that has come into the nation of, of, of Israel. Now, you're probably familiar with a verse in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, that says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. So if the people, your sphere of communication is evil, it will corrupt your good way of living. And that's exactly what the Sodomites were doing in this nation of Israel. Um, in Psalm chapter 1 verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law Doth he meditate day and night? You see, we should be surrounding ourselves with counsel that does not draw us away from what God wants us to do. And it's much easier to find counsel that will draw you away than it is to find counsel that will draw you closer to God. And that's why, to the Christian who says, I don't go to church, I find something very much disconnected in, in, in your, your stance on Christianity, because you need to surround yourself with people who want to pursue God. The counsel outside of this space, generally, is not the counsel that wants to draw you clo- closer to God. Now, I'm not saying you don't have family, you don't have friends who also love the Lord, of course you do, but you want to find a community in which you can serve God together. And so, Unlike Rehoboam, who just went to the council of his friends, instead of taking the counsel that was given to him by the older, wiser people, he just ran to his friends. And I think that's exactly the, the problem when it comes to the Sodomites ruling with you in the land, is that you run to them. You see how they handle things. You see how they do things, and that those bad, those bad communications corrupt your good manners. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, it says, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And so when we, when we see Asa taking away the Sodomites from the land, what, what, I want to, what I want us to think about when we see that is, look at your life. Look at the, the influence around you. What are you doing about controlling, changing that influence that, that directly affects the way you live? But Asa did not just remove the Sodomites. It says that he, in verse, um, in verse 12, it says that he also took away all the idols that his fathers had made. I didn't, don't have this in my notes, but it hit me now. He removed the idols that his fathers had made. Not everything, and i mean i I highly esteem my father, but not everything that your dad or whatever does is right right and the same in verse thirteen removing the idol of his mom not we don't we don't idolize our parents or our father or our because because of their position we We do respect that position all of that, but the the idol cannot be something can, can't be an idol just because it is something that was given to you from your father or your mother or whatever the case is. But the idols obviously are things that that steal God's glory. That's what an idol is. The glory of my life is supposed to be directed at God. I kneel before Him, I pray towards Him, I worship Him, but now I have this idol which is taking away that glory from where that glory is supposed to go. And that's what an idol is. An idol is something that takes up the primary spot that God should have in your life. Idolism takes away that primary spot that God should have in your life. In, um, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 5, it lists a whole bunch of things that we should depart from and that we should cleave unto God and put these new things on. But there it specifically says that covetousness, which is idolatry, covetousness. Now, covetousness is this, I want to say, this unsatiable, insatiable desire for stuff, for more things, for adding more to your life. That covetousness is idolatry. It means this, I need more, and I'll do whatever I can to get more. Now, that could be money, that could be shoes, that could be fame, it could be whatever it is that you think is the thing that will satisfy you. And if you pursue that thing, if you have more of it, if you just have that, then you'll be good. That is covetousness, to think that you'll be satisfied if you constantly pursue whatever it is that you idolize. Now, I tried to make a list of a few things that could become an idol in our lives, and I'm going to mention them because I think some of them may apply to us, but there's more than this. But one thing that we idolize, and everything that I'm going to mention now, actually... Is good in its own place. The problem is if it starts taking the place that God is supposed to take, that primary place in our lives, and that things like children, things like work, things like money, things like your social status, things like your phone, things like your own self-righteousness. I include self-righteousness in it because, believe it or not, you can become your own idol. You can become so central to your focus—the way I look, the way people view me, the way all of that—your own, and even your own spiritual level that you've reached, can become an idol in your life. That you kind of you see yourself as some spiritual giant, that you kind of miss the God who made you. And so when, when we say children, when we say work, when we say money, when all of that, I'm not, I'm not saying those things in and of themselves are bad. But if that becomes the thing that you pursue, if that becomes when you lay down your head at night, you think about more of that, or it's, it's sort of your life revolves around that. More money, better job. How do I get people to like me more? What do people think about my social or my, my status? What, like, it's, is that... Is that really what it's about? And so the idols that, that Asa removes are, are these things that take up God's glory. And now the question we ask ourselves is, what is taking up God's glory in my life? What is, what is stealing my focus away from the attention I should be giving to Him? I can't answer that for you, but I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure all of us struggle with some of these things to some degree. I know I do. And um, like I said, there's, there's nothing wrong with finding a liking in these things. We read in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 that, that we should find joy in, in, in the things that... Well, well, The verse exactly says that there is nothing better for a man that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. So finding joy... In the fact that you have a work and that you can provide and that you have these privileges, there's nothing wrong with that. It is a good thing that is given to us by God, but if that is the primary thing, there is something wrong. That thing has become an idol. Um, I want to turn you to First Timothy chapter six. I know you're familiar with the passage, but I think it's good for us to see it. First Timothy chapter six. In first Timothy chapter 6 it's the passage about the love of money. <clears throat> Let us read it together. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 9 says, "But they that will be rich." Now, just updated English, "they that will be" in other words, those that have a desire to be rich, okay? "They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction." And perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, see there's that word covet, which is associated with idolatry, which some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. So there we see if you're, if you're coveting riches, if you have a desire to be rich, if you have this love for money, now I think you can plug in a lot of sins in, 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 in that place, things that make you desire riches or the, what the riches bring to your life. And those things make you fall into temptation and into hurtful lusts and drown men in destruction and perdition. And that is the end of of following those idols, of worshipping those idols, and not devoting your attention to God. So the first thing we need to do if we are to front slide, let me not say the first thing, one of the things you need to do if you are to front slide is you need to check, are they sodomites and are they idols in my life? Bad influences and things that steal my focus or the glory that should go to God. The second thing we find in verse 13 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 13. So the first is remove the Sodomites. The second is restore the authority. Remove the Sodomites and restore the authority. So in verse 13 we read, And also her his mother, even her, he removed from being queen. Because she had made an idol in a grove, and Asa destroyed her idol and burnt it by the brook Kidron. So I say in this verse, restoring the authority. In other words, God's will comes first. I know it's Mother's Day, and I don't want to say something bad about mothers, but this is not a good mom, right? Right? <laughs> Okay, she she built an idol, she was drawing away her sons or trying to draw away her son's attention from the things of God. And so what I say, Asa restores the authority, he says, What my mom parent says is not the be all and end all of everything. What God says trumps that. And so if my mom says, This idol in that grove, but God says no, then I do what God said. And so he tears down the idol and um so the reason I mentioned that is just this restoring of the authority. Essentially what Asa was doing is he was saying God's will and desires come first. God's will and desires come first. Open to James. James chapter 1. Uh, James chapter 4, sorry. James chapter 4. Now, If we look at the life of Jesus, he said things like, nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine be done. He said, I came to do the will of the one who sent me. So Jesus' life was surrounded by this idea of doing what God has called me to do. Doing the will of God. So, we read in James something similar to that. In James chapter 4, at the end of James 4 verse 13, it says, Go to now, Ye that say, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapour that appeareth a little time and then vanisheth away. For what you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. The problem is not making plans. The problem is not seeing a business opportunity. The problem is not having God a part of it. Not having God's will central to the decision that you're making. It's to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, no one's going to stop me, this is the way that I'm going. He says, no, what you rather should say, verse 15, if the Lord will and we shall live, then it says, and do this and that. First of all, you don't know if you'll live tomorrow. So at least acknowledge that to say that tomorrow, yes, I have a plan for tomorrow, but tomorrow may not come. So first of all, if God wills, if I live, I will do this and that. Acknowledge Him, see Him central, restore that authority where you say, not just I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, God willing, I will do such and such. I want to include God. And you know what? It can easily become A habit just to say god willing lord willing but at least at least start there (laughs) at least um, i want to say condition your mind to say you know what i may not be able to but in your heart you know that if god wills i will do that and so your desire the way you make decisions the way you live is one that lines up to say god is this your will or how do i make myself live according to your will Who makes the final call in your life? Is it God? Is it his word? Is it what he has given us? Or is it the way you feel? Or is it what your parents have said? Or is it what your boss says? Now please respect your boss, respect your parents, all of that in its context. right? But they don't influence, they don't trump what God has said. And God's law and God's way and God's desire and His will needs to stay primary in your life. And it's part of your restoration, your your, your front sliding towards God. And perhaps if something is out of whack in this authority structure, if something is out of whack in the authority structure in your home, if something is out of whack in the authority structure in the way that you conduct business uh, and how God wants it to be done, this could affect the way your relationship is with God. Because He has a desire for how things should be at home, at work, in your life. And if you're saying, I don't care about that, I am focusing on whatever it is that my tradition is or how I want to do things, God's will is not above it. And so that is something that draws you away instead of pushes you towards um, being closer to God. All right, First Kings chapter 15, our third and third and uh, last Point. So the first one is we remove the sodomites and the idols. And then Asa restored the authority in verse 13. And then in verse 15, he renews his dedications. He renews his dedications. So in verse 15 we see, And he brought in the things which his father had dedicated, and the things which himself had dedicated, into the house of the Lord, silver and gold and vessels. Now, let me just point you to something in 1 Kings 14. Now, his father had dedicated, Rehoboam had dedicated some other things. Um, 1 Kings 14, verse 25. It says, And it came to pass in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem, and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of of, of the king's house. He even took away all, and he took away this, all the shields of gold which Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made in their stead brass and shields and committed them unto the hands of the chief god. So immediately you see he sort of replaces it with a subpar product, a brass, instead of this golden shield. Now that's what Rehoboam, his dad, did. What, and then what we see what Asa does here is he replaces it with silver and gold and vessels in First Kings chapter 15. So he dedicates something that is much better. He gives God the honor that God deserves. He gives him the very best. So I want to say he renews his commitment to the house of God and the things of God. He sees God and he says God deserves the best. Not these bras and shields, but the gold and the silver. And the question is, that we ask ourselves is, does God receive the best of us? Does he, does he get what's left over after everything is said and done? If there, if there is money left at the end of the month, I will give an offering. I'm not, I'm not preaching about giving and giving and giving. We, you, you know where we stand on that, but is that, is that how you view it? It's more the principle that I'm talking about. The same goes for your time. The same goes for your talents. The same goes for whatever God has blessed you with. He has given you, He has entrusted you with certain riches, time, talents, all those things. Does God get what's left after you've given your talents to whatever other society it is? Or does God get, can I say, dibs <laughs> on, what, on that? Look, we need to ask ourselves that question. What King Asa does is he immediately says, God's house needs to be revered. God's house needs to have the due honor that it deserves and He restores those things to what it, what it used to be. So do you bring your best? Do you prepare for Sundays and are you focused and ready to receive from God? Is that, is that your mindset? I mean, you prepare for other things in life. Why not prepare to come to the house of God? He renews His dedications. Do you give as God has prospered you? Do you dedicate your days to Him? Every day you go out, you drive, you work, you do all these things. Do you dedicate it to Him? Do you ask Him, God, show me, help me, guide me as I go through this day? Do you include Him in that? Asa renewed these dedications to the Lord. And I think so should should we. Now, I want to point you to the result of this change that Asa made. Have a look at 2 Chronicles. Now, 2 Chronicles is... Has got a lot of the same um, um, kings. Obviously, it's just a, it's a different, it's recorded differently and for a different purpose. But in Second Chronicles chapter fourteen, we read about King Asa and Rehoboam and Jeroboam. It's the exact same thing happening, but it gives us a little bit more info. So in Second Chronicles chapter fourteen, the question is: What is the result of this change that Asa made? Second Chronicles fourteen. Says in verse six. Now we see in verse five he also took away out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the images and the kingdom was quiet before him. Verse six and he built and he built fenced cities in Judah, for the land had rest, and he and he had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said unto Judah, Let us build these cities and make about them walls and towers and gates and bars, while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him, and he hath given us rest on every side, so they built and prospered. The result, firstly, of his rededication, his, his restoration, his front sliding, is one of peace in a time when there was war. I mean, Jeroboam and and Rehoboam were at war the whole time. The same with his father. But what happens here in this rule of King Asa is that it changed from this destructive war. And you know, with war comes poverty, comes pestilence, comes all these shortages. And so from that, it went to peace and they had their own space and they prospered in this time of Asa. Now, I think that is very true for us. If we want to prosper, if we want to have a good and solid relationship with god one that is restored to that fellowship that we once had it needs to these things need to be in place for us to reach that point where there is peace in our lives peace in our hearts for what god has worked in our lives another thing that changed is have a look at verse 11 in second chronicles 14 verse 11 it said an asa cried unto the lord his god and said lord it is nothing with thee to help Whether with many or with them that have no power, help us, O Lord, our God. For we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Immediately you see how Asa's heart towards God, his trust in God, completely changed. He was one that said, God, I know that you are our God and that you will give us victory and that we can rest on you. He had that that faith, that deep assurance that God would carry them through. And that comes as a result of knowing God and being closer to him. And so the question is, do you want that to be restored? Do you want to remove those sodomites and the, the idols in your life? Do you want to have that renewed dedication to God? Because that results in a life that is at peace with God and knows that God is with you and knows that God will give you the victory over the things that you struggle with. And we see that beautiful picture, and it definitely applies to us as Christians. I want to close by pointing you to a verse in um, James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Now, I'm not claiming that there is an easy three-step process to front sliding. I'm not saying if you, if you I want to say mechanically or mindlessly go and say, okay, sodomite, out. idle, out. Like, if you just go and approach it in that way, I don't, I don't think the hard change is going to take place. And so my, 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 I don't want to leave you with, Saying, okay, how do I legalistically go and just smash these things and then I'm sorted? That's not how it works, right? We want to say, let's use these points as introspection. How do we say, okay, God, are there sodomites? Are there things in my life that the counsel that I'm receiving, the input that I'm getting is drawing me away from you? God, are there idols in my life that are stealing the worship that you should reserve? Do you see, you, you take it to God and you say, God, is there something that I need to change? Because it points to your heart being willing to be shaped by God and His will. And so, is that your desire? And with that desire, these things, and I, I give you these pointers because it makes it practical to say, but, okay, wait, influence. Things that steal God's glory. Things that I, I, I want to say, put above God's will in my life. Do I consider His will? Think about it practically. But then, apply it spiritually, apply it not just in the sense that it is this legalistic thing that you're going to now enforce. Also, these three steps are not steps to salvation. If you're lost, you're, you haven't come to Christ as your Savior today, don't think that by merely stopping doing certain things that somehow now God suddenly accepts you. That's not how salvation works. Okay, this is talking about how do I, as a Christian who is saved, restore my fellowship with him. Now there are, there, there are things in this that do definitely apply to whether you're lost or saved, and that is the principle that repentance, I turn from what I used to know, and I turn to the God who saves me. Saved me or saves me, I turn from and I turn to. But the order is important. Have a look at James chapter 4. James chapter four, verse eight says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double minded. I think this translates or correlates very nicely with what we saw in Kings. It is it's if you want to draw nigh to God, there's a cleansing that needs to take place at the same time. But the focus is first, draw nigh to God. It's not how do I smash all the sin? And then maybe God will accept me so that I can draw nigh to him. It's no. Approach God. What did John say? John say he must increase and I must decrease. He didn't say, let me decrease to such a point so that there's enough space for God. No, he said, God must increase. My focus is draw nigh to God and then we'll deal with these things. My focus is he must increase and then I will decrease. Your focus is, and that's why I'm saying, this is not, don't just apply the steps. Take it to God. Let God work on your heart because that is where the change will take place. So, for front sliding to take place, God needs to be your primary focus. The rest, the confession, the change, all of that will happen as you draw nigh to Him. As you start seeking His will, These other things, these other things that take your focus, these other things that that, that distract you, these idols that you've put out will be pointed out. And I I said this yesterday in discipleship class, and I I want to say it again. And, And that is that the only time God has not answered my prayer to show me, Lord, what is wrong? Where have I gone wrong? What is missing? What do I need to change? The only time He has not answered that prayer is when I didn't really pray it. If you spend time with God and you seek Him to say, God, what is taking my focus away? What is it that is affecting me? What is it that is? If you really dedicate, God will show you. But if you don't really care, you ask it because, well, preacher said I must. <laughs> you're not going to get the answer. But if you're asking it because you really want to say, God, how do I get close to you? God will answer that. He will show you the sodomites. He will show you the idols. He will show you the things that you have placed above Him. Seek Him, and He will guide you. Draw nigh to Him, and He will draw nigh to you. Let's all bow our heads. Lord, I I do thank You for this time this morning. I thank You, Lord, that we could look at this wonderful truth, Lord. It makes me think of the, um, the prodigal son, Lord. You... Are always ready to forgive. Your disposition is always to, to want to show mercy and um, grace, Lord. And, and, and we thank you so much for that. Thank you. Even in the life of Solomon, we saw that how you warned him before, and even while he was sinning, Lord, you came to him twice and said, Solomon, stop. Lord, you, we really don't have an excuse. And Lord, even then, still, the prodigal son can run home and, and you run to meet him Lord, we, we thank you that you desire not for us to backslide but for us to can I say forever frontslide Lord, I, I, I praise you for that wonderful wonderful truth that we have is that Lord you desire to to have us in right standing with you and Lord if Noah if say so, someone here today who hasn't started that process in, in committing their lives to you. Lord, I pray you'd please work in their hearts. Um, let your spirit do the work. Lord, may they also have the liberty to, to ask questions, that they may find answers. But Lord, also for those of us who are saved and who have committed our lives to you, we know that the battle is, is real, and um, sometimes we, we do fall. But Lord, thank you that you're waiting with open arms to receive us back. Lord, help us to remove whatever influences and idols we have in our lives and everything that distracts us and steals your glory. Lord, please come show that to us and help us every day to be more conformed to the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for this time. We ask that these things would stay in our hearts. and Lord, that you would... Please bless us in the rest of this day as we go about and in everything that we do, Lord. We want to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.